Welcome to Hashala Podcast. In peace and solidarity of the of an eighteen year old IU Bloomington um, student who is also the survivor of Asian hate crime, we will discuss Asian hate crimes, examples from Indiana schools, the role of social media in spewing hate. Before we begin, this episode contains potentially alarming content to some listeners. Please feel free to step away and take a moment to yourself. Welcome to another season of Hash It Out. I'm Medha, a computer, se- a computer science senior and your host for today. Today, I'm joined by Tapiva, the, my co-host. How are you doing? How has your spring semester been so far? Hi, everyone. As Medha said, I'm Tapiva. Um, the spring semester has been insane um, already. We're in like what the fourth week and I, I've already had four exams this week. I'm oh. a little, you know, sleep deprived and all that but you know it's my junior year i'm gonna power through so i can make it to that senior year like you are now and i'm excited you know and i'm you know i was having finals flashbacks but i'm here and i'm ready to hash it out the yeah i love i love the attitude <laughs> four exams sound do sound tough i hope you get enough sleep over the weekend if you didn't during the week because oh, i just had one exam and even that feels like too much four sounds like probably the end of me but yes so let's like try to dive in into today's topic um so if not if you are aware or if you aren't aware on january 13 2023 according to the bloomington police at iub which is indiana university bloomington an 18 year old indiana university student was targeted and stabbed on a bus in bloomington for being asian Bill Davis, who is 56 year old, told the Bloomington Police Department that she used a folding knife to stab the 18 year old in the head and targeted her for being Chinese, adding that it would be one less person to blow up our country. According to the court documents, the 18 year old from Carmel, Indiana, told the investigators that while waiting for the doors of a Bloomington Transit bus to open, another passenger struck her seven times in the head. So. When does this stop and does it ever have an end? Does social media play any role in spewing hate crimes? Before we dive into the examples and see the examples around us as well as outside Indiana, let's try to first understand the definition of uh, hate crime and how much of statistics or how much of um, incidences that have been there within the last year. So in December 2022, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, that's the FBI, released hate crime statistics in 2021, an annual compilation of bias-motivated incidences in United States. And according to this year's data, about 64.8% of victims were targeted because of their offenders' bias towards their race, ethnicity, or ancestry, which continues to be the largest bias motivation category. Anti-Black or African-American hate crimes continue to be the largest bias incident category, with 63.2% of all single bias incidences in 2021. Additionally, anti-Asian hate incidences represented about 4.3% of the incidents reported in 2021. The other largest categories of hate crimes include anti-Hispanic or Latino incidences with 6.1% of the incidences and anti-white incidences with 13.4% of the incidences. At a federal level, hate crime laws include crimes based on a victim's perceived or actual race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or disability. 
that was a lot to take in and a lot of statistics mm-hmm. it just 64.8 percent that just screams to me that there is something there's lack of awareness there's lack of education on other communities and the fact that all of these are bias motivated like where is this bias coming from like each country like being indian myself like i have heard a lot of time oh yeah you're indian but like you're not asian because right. asian are like they consider chinese or japanese as asian but i'm like i am the part of asia and asia is like the largest continent how do you box an entire the largest continent in the world with like so many different geographical locations mm-hmm. weather and like skin colors cultures language religions like how do you box it and like a lot of when i read about like the definitions of hate crime a lot of them included like legally it has to be like bias motivated and that is something that i was trying to find uh like is all hate crime bias motivated like is there un- any other um factor that would come into play without having bias just people what do you think i think that in my opinion you'd have to have a bias in order to have a hate crime because you're you're having a judgment on someone based on their identity or their race or their religion and you're targeting them mm-hmm. it's it's a very um premeditated action and it's and the sad thing about biases is they start at such a young age that yeah. you know or you know they kind of fester sometimes people don't even realize mm-hmm. that they have a bias um and then you know you have a crime like that and then they deem it a hate crime sometimes maybe the person didn't realize that this would be considered a hate crime yeah but oftentimes they're able to go through that person's computer their history the things the media that they watched and you mm-hmm. talked about social media some of the posts that they were making on social media it lines up with it being you know a hate crime because they already were spewing hate on mm-hmm. their platforms so in my opinion i think you have to have a bias of some sort to have a hate crime yeah i think i would agree on that aspect but i was trying to explore like other definitions and other theories on mm-hmm. like hate crime or how you would go about um finding like the root cause of why that is happening and there was one theory that i did come across in one of the research papers and it it was like othering theory so othering is a concept found in like literature in reference to a dominant group marginalizing a non-dominant group in some way originating out of like fear or prejudice mm. so the act of othering involves like a process that labels um those who thought to be different from oneself wherein the racial group with the most power in the society or the group that believes that they have a civic belonging stigmatize and distance individual who are racially or ethnically different from them so othering also like serves the reinforcement that these groups have a notion of their normality and the position those who are different are deviant through and their ongoing process of marginalization disempowerment and social exclusion which is something that i have noticed like because i have in my 3 years of living in america i have had incidences where i'm randomly interrogated on like why am i somewhere or what am i doing here by 
the dominant group in the country and i'm like it's none of your business like i like recent like about i think 3 months ago or something i was in uh, me and my friend like both of us we were in the in a building which like he just recently moved in and we we're trying to move in so we were in the elevator and so on and um at one point the lady was like oh show me your keys show me your id and i'm like it's it's none of like your business like you're not the police for identification you're not, like you're nobody to be doing that to people and she was like to, she was willing to like throw people out of the elevator who she thought weren't like part of the building or like was throw she out. a resident of the building or? yeah she was oh that's resident. that's not even right yeah like, it's like you're you're just cuz she's thinking like oh black people can't live here that that that's that's like her ideology right or like people of color seeing. in general can't live here hence these people are outsiders which is exactly what like this is referencing mm-hmm. like you're mar- marginalizing a non-dominant group in like in some way and like that that was like one thing like probably it's it's not just the fact that there are stereotypes that are fed into these people since they're right. growing up but it's also the fact like they don't understand us and i think humans have this tendency that when you don't understand something they automatically fear you you know like it's bad it's yeah, scary yeah it's, exactly yeah. but like it's the fact that you just because that's the thing like because we're scared of the things that we don't understand right so like that that's like one of the things but i felt like it was that notion i i felt like i have seen that before around me in places. oh yeah absolutely absolutely And I think speaking on that, you know, being a minority on campus in some instances can make you feel other. There are times where I've been one of the few minority students in class, um and then you if you experience intolerance, it can make the experience uncomfortable. Like that situation that you mentioned. Um I remember I had a sociology class in 2020. Can we, you know, rewind back to 2020? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that yeah. was a a a very intense time. for our country not just for health but also for social justice during the height of racial tensions some of the discussion posts in the class were hard to digest one because we were living in it currently we had you know the the uh, George Floyd situation and a few other social justice issues that came up during that time um and two because i had to sift through the comments of that other people you know the com- the the discussion posts had comments from students that othered people mm-hmm. for example there was a post asking if there was a need of a, um for a movement like black lives matter you know it's a sociology class the professor wanted to pull a relevant question mm-hmm. and she asked that is there a need for a movement like black lives matter there were quite a few posts from students that mentioned that it that it is unnecessary because racism is over hate crimes will continue to happen <laughs> if there are people who believe racism doesn't exist or aren't aware of their own biases. I think this directly is representative of social media. There are conspiracy groups online that really spread misinformation and harmful ideology that in turn it warps the consumers of these conspiracies view of reality and worse still, they have they find it hard to digest history. Deplatforming apparently has not been an answer according to Facebook because even though they have deplatformed certain people especially from conspiracy groups um it has actually reinforced their conspiracy their conspiracy theory beliefs as 
they, as what we call minion accounts, would double down on spreading and disinforming material on behalf of those who have been deplatformed. So when these conspiracy group theorists mm -hmm. were deplatformed, people who believed in these conspiracies are like, yeah, see, Facebook deplatformed them. It means that what they're saying, all the hate that they're spewing yeah. is real because yeah. Facebook wants to silence them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the four weeks of deplatforming a certain conspiracy group, a well-established conspiracy theorist, researchers analyzed that 11,877 public posts, which wow. mentioned him, after he was deplatformed, that was that many posts that came up. People were speaking on him. These posts yielded 2.2 million user interactions. In the seven days following his account removal on April 30th, his public mentions on Facebook increased by 84%, according to Cardiff University. More than 40% of Americans are unconvinced, unconvinced that systemic racism exists in the U.S., according to a new survey by U.S. News and World Report and the, and the Harris Poll. This sheds, this sheds light on how large a number of people are uninformed and unaware of their biases. That's why I'm thankful for this platform, um, the Hash It Out podcast, where we use this platform to shed light on issues of hate crimes happening right in our backyard. Asian hate and other forms of racism are very real and impact our community every single day. Mm, yeah, that is so true. Free speech, and now it's all about. But what is media? It's literally our platform of advocacy, and I feel like any speech, like yes, you should be open to criticizing people, but any speech that promotes hate and violence is not free speech. Like I'm sorry, that's like if you read an article, if you read an article, or if you watch someone's speech, or you watch someone listen, by the end of it. You just hate a group. You just hate why they exist. You you just hate the fact like you just despise them. Then that's hate speech. But like majority of these people, because that that filter of understanding what is hate speech and what is free speech is not there. And hence, like with Facebook or with Twitter and so on, it's like if they don't have these policies in place to remove. And I'm seeing extremes of like both both kind not just like one or the other but like if we don't have platforms in place monitoring this then like pretty much like what's happening in america right now like there's so much of misinformation and like there's so much of manipulation around what the truth is like like everybody's like your truth my truth no truth is one thing like it there can be your story or my story but facts are one thing and now the big sure like the facts are turning into opinions and like facts are turning into something that they're not right. and with like when we talk about hate crimes like one of the causes or one of like the rooting stem is the fact like there's so much of hate sentiment around like what happened like for whether it's chinese japanese or especially when chinese people during covid they were targeted so much because of covid19 because i've had like i've seen I've heard comments in a classroom where somebody indirectly told my friend who is Chinese that you should go back or wear a mask because we don't want any of your diseases around here. And that that's like one of the things because it's like, uh, okay, you want to, like that's 
it's it's absurd on where they like get this information from because one fact is like learning about how it originated where it originated from but the another one is like spewing using that to hate or make someone feel inferior or yeah it's just Absolutely. doesn't sit yeah. and even talking about like indiana school examples recently last semester i think around december it took about 15 seconds for the purdue university northwest chancellor mm. to undermine a resume forged like over the decade mm-hmm. in academia that he has and like an like a off the cuff joke at commencement mocking asian languages um and he basically took the stage and spoke in gibberish and i i don't know what was upsetting because i've watched that video i don't know what was upsetting the fact that he said it or the fact that people behind him actually laughed at what he said like yeah and it wasn't i could tell like when i watched the video like some people were there was a lot like the people in the front directly in the front were the ones i saw the most like just blatant laughter where they just immediately start laughing and then you see some people who are like have the awkward like yeah ha. and then there's someone in the back like one person that's just straight face so it shows like that level of like some people are just they don't like that's funny automatically yeah. then there's some people who are like mm that's kind of messed up and then there's the people no that's really messed up yeah yeah i mean that was like i i saw like everybody was laughing and there was like one lady who just yeah the one lady face. she's just like and that's like one thing it's like if the if the boards like the if the chancellor if the board of trustees or any of these senior leaders up in educational institution like academic institution mm-hmm. have this kind of mentality or i i don't know what with ideology he went in at a speech and i was like oh i'm just going to you know do this um, if he thought it was funny I, that's that's what like upsets me more than anything but like i feel like if you are a senior executive position if you are the president or the chancellor there are certain expectations about judgment that i think are of like a different order than someone who is not in an executive office you know right because like his mentality his the way he approaches things is going to affect like everybody because it's the same like if my president of the country is making these kinds of comments it's fine if i do the comments as well because the most powerful person in the country is promoting this and the same way the one of the most powerful people in the institution is mocking asian languages so what's like i'm sure there are like hun- like people who think what's the harm in them doing that if the executive like senior executive can do that and but for but this is what they say and how they say it and including whether it's a professor whether it's a student or whether it's a chancellor like especially at academic institutions when we're trying to educate people and remove any bias mm. or prejudice it is our responsibility like and i'm grateful for the social justice program because this is the only social justice program like bloomington doesn't have it it's only iupui no. which has social justice scholars wow. program and iu system so i think like i'm very proud of the fact that we have a multicultural center that's funding us and giving us this platform to say right. and being able to advocate for these things but same time like everyone needs to hold themselves accountable whether they are or not getting recorded you know and uh, like this was not even fine like even if he didn't do this at the commencement speech even if he did this in private i still don't think this is okay you know like i i don't think this is 
okay to do any of this. And I, it goes to show that he, if he was bold enough to do it on that stage, exactly. it means that he does probably make those type of jokes yeah. in private. Yeah, and like another, because I was looking up like, what is the history of mm -hmm. these incidents happening on campus? Right. And I realized this is not just something like a new thing that people think has like, because um, I was reading like a lot of it, like, oh, Asian hate crime. Like those are just hashtags that have started. Like, yes, COVID has um, triggered a lot of all of this, but I was reading on all the other potential examples and it turns out it's been happening since like years like decades before so some of the examples are like state versus uh dozio so a student at a small college in maine yelled anti-gay slurs and threats at a fellow student working in the student lounge mm. and violently choked the student in three consecutive attacks the defendants signed a consent uh in civil rights case and brought by the Maine's attorney general um another example is united states versus uh, lombardi a non-student was charged with uh, de detonating two pipe bombs on the campus of a primarily african-american public university in florida mm. and after each bombings the violent racist telephone calls were made to the local television station Another example is State versus uh, Masota. There were three white students at a university in Maine left an anonymous racist and threatening messages on an African-American student's answering machine. The message ended with the following. I wonder what you're going to look like when you're dead. Um, I wonder if you die, you'll lose your color, like your blood starts to leave your body. And you're going to start de deteriorating and the blood starts to leave your skin. You get the picture and he uttered a curse word and he said you're dead. Wow. Like, it's, it just, it, it, what makes me question is how much, how hateful person are you that you have to hate so much around other people? Like, right, that you go out of your way. Yeah to make especially this voicemail like or message or something like left this voicemail for this student to just hear yeah like don't like don't you have a job to do don't you have like something Exam good to do for the society some, yeah like the whole point of like for me like coming to college like that's exciting is you get to meet new people and you know of course i grew up in indianapolis so and I guess the side of town I lived on had people from everywhere. Like there was people from India, people from uh, Mexico, people from Guatemala, you know, just all over. So I was constantly exposed to different people from different mm -hmm. cultures. Mm -hmm. And it just was a part of life. It wasn't even like, I didn't have a question on if this person is different. For me, that person, oh, they're from Mexico, but their name is Sarah. Yeah. And I just see them as my friend. Like, I just don't understand how you can see someone from a different culture and not, and just have this hate for them and not see them as human. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And I first want to add about the um, chancellor situation at Purdue. That was Purdue Northwest. Yeah. Um, first, I have to say that's unacceptable. A chancellor of the school should not use their platform to make a group of people feel like they're the butt of a joke at a commencement. Mm -hmm. I felt bad for any Asian American students, of course, minority students, but specifically Asian American students and their families who were in attendance because they have experienced hate or intolerance before 
And then on this special day, they're celebrating a milestone. They were met with blatant racism from their chancellor. It goes to show just how important social justice education is because the chancellor is highly educated, got to take all types of classes. Yeah. But made a harmful, uneducated decision that day. Mm-hmm. It may seem like the words, it's, it may seem like they're just words, but as Midha has shared, these attitudes in, in our society can turn to violence toward people of color. When the COVID-19 virus was imminent in 2020, I remember the president at the time calling COVID-19 the China virus. The language people in power use directly impacts overall perception and safety of the groups. According to healthaffairs.org, Asian Americans largely feel scapegoated and blamed for the COVID-19 pandemic. Roughly two months after the first confirmed COVID-19 case in, in the U.S., 60% of Asian Americans reported having witnessed someone blaming people of Asian background for the coronavirus epidemic. I think I think a lot about Florida's Stop Woke Act, a ban on African American studies, and it also encompasses other multicultural studies. Mm-hmm. According to Ledger, it was approved on March 25th by Florida Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the HB 1467. It gives parents and members of the public increased access to the process of selecting and removing school library books and instructional materials. The erasure of history will only further allow history to be inaccurately told and oftentimes one-sided by the, the group that is in the majority. Without these books, some students will not be exposed to the reality of racism or prejudice. If we do not when through is getting written like for me it's like in my family like we know our fighters our ancestors what they went through and so on and it's all verbal and like 500 our success like there's mm-hmm. all history about like oh look at and even when the way it was worded in my textbook like how british empire abolished slavery it was like oh this is this is the best thing that they have done this is the most glorified thing that they have done and when I looked at like their compensations, when I looked online, tried to find some sources, that wasn't mentioned that they gave money to the plantation owners because they have lost slaves. Like that wasn't mentioned. So that that was in India. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it. it I'm pretty sure wherever British colonies existed, they have done that. Because yeah, they a, did that in the the south. I I honestly had only heard about that happening in the south. So it's so interesting that you brought up that they did that to basically all, everywhere where yeah. they have British colonies. It means like it's so crazy because I'm there's black and brown communities and here Native Americans that have asked for reparations for mm-hmm. the things that have happened and they're willing to give reparations to other countries but not to their own people who they have used as slaves or profited off of or gentrified and um you know just took their land you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it's just so crazy that they're there's like almost empathy for the people that were slave owners yeah that's the thing and like even with its history books are talking like getting documented but now even with social media like it's just so much of misinformation about right whether it's even the whole fact like uh trump calling covid china virus like there's just so much of using an information to spew your agenda ideology that goes around like even with social media it has given like people a platform to spew hate like before in like 50 60 years ago 
you have this like viewpoint about hate speech including like institution of socialization like schools churches any other stakeholders that have role including media they are needed to like a grow community of like emotionally intelligent and understanding people like with i'm sure like the chancellor like you said like having an educational degree doesn't guarantee that you have social awareness right and, like uh, how much of the education or the information that we like i'm a cs computer science senior and there are probably only one class so far in like four years almost of ta- like taking this degree that only in one class that we have talked about the impact of data and how social justice and software needs to go together on like how fairness testing is so much more important like right. how to make sure that like there was a recent um so like they did a study and they found out like uh the one day delivery for amazon that uh is only in new york it wasn't it was available in all neighborhoods except african american neighborhoods in like such as brooklyn and so on and it wasn't like they worked on that algorithm to like improve upon it or something but there are these biases in software as well and how many like how much of education that we are getting we are paying so much amount of money and it's education is a business like it's it, literally it such a billion dollar industry and how much are we actually teaching people to be like not just be technically aware of something or just be educational degree aware mm-hmm. but like be emotionally intelligent and have social awareness of like what you're seeing how you're seeing and who you're seeing to you know like it's I, i don't know and that's why like i feel like it doesn't matter if somebody has a degree from an ivy league or like from a really tough school or a highly competitive school it doesn't guarantee that these people are going to be socially aware and socially be respectful no, towards others it, it doesn't like, it shows <laughs> yeah like you can be you can be a, like you can i have members in my own family who are cardio surgeons which is one of the most hardest yes fields. and i have them coming up to me and telling me about like the gender roles that i should follow and like i should do these things and i think like uh like that's the issue like even with we're talking about asian hate crime it's it's like we need to educate people socially and we need to yes we need to focus on iq but we also need to focus on like the aspect of emotional intelligence because it's important because we are humans we function on emotions also uh as much as we function on facts and it's important to recognize that what we say is going to harm yeah cuz like the Purdue situation on an emotional standpoint it impacts the students it impacted the people that watched the video but then on another sense like you would think that someone with that type of education would also think about what they say could impact the brand of the university exactly so it's like wow having emotional intelligence and having you know this academic you know background mm-hmm. go should go hand in hand because if you don't have emotional intelligence you're going to make these decisions that are harmful that make you look dumb make yeah. you look uneducated that was an uneducated you know response i don't even know what why he said what he said i think he thought he was funny because he said that and he then he laughed and he looked at his peers and i'm like that's not funny like it, it's not at all that's not a joke that you should be cracking and like that's the thing with like greater res- like with greater power comes like greater responsibility was it like the spider-man quote or something i forgot 
but like it, it was around the fact, one of the like, superheroes yeah exactly <laughs> one of the superheroes but th- that's the one thing it's it's like and it's not just the fact like oh senior executives but like everyone needs to be responsible because you never know who you influence you never know who like in his mind he probably thinks he wasn't serious probably who knows you know i'm just making assumptions and my um, conclusions at this point he might think oh it's just a joke you know like it's it's not that serious but it is serious like you can't be mocking and nobody talks like that like i was heard... it the per- who spoke before him i have no idea okay cuz i it sounded like he was saying a reference to what someone said so i was like it would be even worse if the person who spoke before him was asian american and he just went and just like said that oh i i think no i only watched the video where he came up to the stage and he said that and even if it's taken out of context or we don't know what the previous thing was i still feel like that's still not justified like oh yeah yeah it's like, it's not justified it's, it's like i like i i don't know i i even if i i just feel like i don't want to know what happened before it's still racist i think it would be worse if you knew what happened before exactly. if i'm being honest exactly. because it sounded to me like somebody who was asian american spoke before him and then he went and was trying to do a greeting i that's what it sounded like so i felt like even some type of way thinking how could you mock the person who came before you this is so disrespectful cuz he said something about a professor he mentioned a professor's name or something in the video um but you have to watch it for yourself to get an idea of um just the shock value when you're watching it and seeing the reactions also from the people on the stage how blatant that visual was of someone basically mocking another culture Oh, he basically there was an okay, there was another speaker who said that he sometimes speaks to his granddaughters in a made-up language, responding to that with an Asian version. Oh my god. The gosh. chancellor mockingly intimidated uh, imitated the speakers of Asian language. Wow. Mm. That's even wor- so first of all, it's like the first the other person is, is says that he talks to his kids in a pretend language cute you know that's cute but then the guy comes up and you and, and uses basically what sounds to be like an asian language accent and so he equates a made-up language yeah to to what he did yeah it's just it goes to show you how people view languages that aren't english because yeah. let's be real most americans don't speak more than one language mm-hmm. yeah. most people don't Yeah. And other countries, you go to I have a friend from Germany, she speaks like four or five languages. Um my my mom from she's from an African country, speaks four or five languages. Me, grew up in America, what do I speak? One language and somewhat of Spanish, but not really enough to to say I'm fluent. Mm-hmm. It shows like the culture here is like we're ve- it's very English like American English at that, you yeah. know, focus. And if you don't have that American accent, You know, cuz I've even been told by other Americans like, "Oh, you don't sound American. Where are you from?" because I guess I 
I've picked up some of, you know, the way that I speak for my parents and people who are from the outside or mm-hmm. xen- they have a lot of xenophobia. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to cause hate crimes. Yeah. And the, the other one was like defensive hate crimes, but 25% of them are committed by perpetrator who rationalize the attacks by identifying some says and stuff about. Ima- yeah. <laughs> that, when I was wow. like reading the motivation, that's what like struck me. Like there are people who have time and mental space and energy to hate somebody. It's like, I imagine, you know, as detailed as our, you know, transcripts are, like, there's someone out there, you know, we're making a transcript of social justice issue, and specifically today, Asian hate, we've made it. Someone else out there has a transcript, or maybe something even more fancy, just strictly about hate. Yeah. It's just like, how? Probably, I mean, that's the thing, like, probably somebody has a detailed document on, like, why you should target some particular community because Mm. they brought so and so and xyz and you know the thing about internet is which is kind of a pro and a con is like when you go on internet you can search anything and you will find people you will find a community that supports your opinions you know that's true like nobody tells you that hey you know this can be dangerous like what this person this can potentially mean something like people being part of reddit groups like these people making comments like okay it's not just like just a reddit thread it's not just somebody like a community that's just discussing because you never know when that discussion turns into violence you know yeah especially if someone has you like you said premeditated attacks maybe they've been thinking about attacks for so long and then they come to this reddit that they find oh there's other people who believe like me yeah that means that what i'm thinking yeah i should just go ahead and do it yeah like even like for like when you spoke about trump calling china virus like i'm sure there were other people who were like oh you know like i i don't know how many people actually found it offended because i i found that completely yeah yeah that uh, let's not even but (laughs) i feel you i feel like if you you google like i'm sure there are hundreds of people out there who will support and who will provide like their so-called evidences to support that ideology to yes. hate on people of Chinese origin or just Chinese people in general. Which and is... that's that's the power of internet where you can just Google anything and you will find your own community to go crazy in. And that's that's like the, the that's the one thing that I can't just wrap around my head that in this age of like we have so much of information out there where I feel like humans as a society, people are not just mature enough to filter what is what and what is what. No. And like, even though they might have these degrees, like there is no emotional intelligence at all. There's no social (laughs) awareness at all. None. Like saying this is not okay is something that they probably have never heard. Like, I'm pretty sure that people out there who think saying those kinds of words is normal. I'm like, no, you're inciting trauma. You're inciting generational trauma. And like I've I was reading about like the other side, like their argument. A lot of them were like, Oh, it's just speech. It's just like we're just talking, it's discussion. We're not harming anybody. But I'm like, words matter. Like when you write something, when you read something, like they matter. You don't know what and writing hateful words is not okay even if they do or do not turn into violence like 
writing because it could eventually get to someone who can then turn it into violence because those words are out there now yeah and like what about like emotional like emotional and like mental abuse like when a person of asian origin or of like let's say uh, a person like whether it's the whole incidents of like chinese being targeted during covid mm-hmm. because them claiming like whether it's trump saying it's china virus and so on like what if it traumas what if their family members have passed away due to covid you know like for them to say these kinds of things it's what they don't have a sense of community because they need help they need they need those resources and just the the social awareness to navigate you know what whatever they're consuming mm-hmm. and and realizing what they're doing is wrong and speaking of an emotional intelligence i want to share with you some tools to help you and others confront biases or anything that could further perpetuate stereotypes that are harmful the first one is the harvard implicit association test i had to take this for a mitigating bias training at my job and it was and i was shocked on um to find out certain biases i had but now that I know, I can further the work I've already been doing to be an ally to different communities and to be a better social justice scholar. A misconception is that if you're a minority by race, gender, or sexuality, you're automatically more tolerant or accepting. No, we all must do anti-racist work and unlearn things we may have unconsciously or even consciously picked up throughout life. Another way to come to social, to, another way is to come to our social justice scholar programming. It is an awesome opportunity for you to engage in social justice conversations in a safe space and also social justice uh, education as well. The social justice scholars that lead each program have done the research and their due diligence when putting these events and programming together. Let's hear from our social justice student specialist, Shonda Gladden, and before that, we'll share with you a bit of her biography. So, um, Reverend Shonda Gladden, uh, she's a proud mother of a high school scholar, a local pastor, and a founder and CEO of Good to the Soul, a social enterprise that energizes individuals and institutions to flourish and do good, especially good that promotes the spirit of universal liberation. She is also passionate about representation of identity and framing of movements, movements like social, spatial and spiritual as cultural productions that inform blackness and black aesthetic within the colonial project of Americas. So let's hear from Reverend Shonda Gladden. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are very grateful to have you on our episode to learn your uh, story, to learn why you serve in this program as a social justice student specialist. Um, to begin with, can you a bit explain on like why you got involved in the social justice education programs or just in the field and the work for social justice? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Maida, for having me on this episode. Uh, Essentially, I feel I'm called to this work. Um, I do believe that in my role as pastor, as well as in professor or professional and parent, 
um, that this is something that is greater than me. It's not just something that I stumbled into, but seeing the disparity among different races of people, different classes of people, I really felt called to make a difference in as much as I could do something about the devastation I see around the world, ecologically, <laughs> environmentally, um, educationally, and in so many ways, I just felt that this was a very important role that I've been blessed to be able to not only serve, but uh, find a livelihood in being able to shape the future of the next generation of social justice scholars and warriors, if you will. Yeah, you saw you are you've worked in the field for so long. Was there any is is there any like favorite moment of social justice that you have experienced so far, or what what's your favorite moment so far? Wow, yeah, I've been engaged in social justice work now for more than 30 years. And so as I think back, um, I think my time, my son and I, at the time that we heard of the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, uh, he and I decided to take um, a trip to Ferguson, Missouri over the Thanksgiving break. And so it was a few months after the killing of Michael Brown, uh, but certainly while things were still uh, very, very much in a, in a turmoil. Um, the National Guard was still out. Um, there were curfews still uh, and in place. And the city was still very much under siege. Um, my son and I decided to get in our car. And at the time, I was pastoring a church up in uh, northern Indiana. And uh, one of our young adults also went with us. And we wanted to see for ourselves first what was the real situation in Ferguson, but then to visit the memorial site that mm -hmm. the protesters, the people who loved, the community members of Michael Brown, including clergy as well as activists and just members of that apartment complex, they had established a memorial there for him in a very um, nondescript kind of way. But over the course of the months that they found the place where he was laid or where he died, there were bears and there were candles and there were notes and there were still people mm -hmm. who were coming to that site to pay homage and to pay respects to a life taken too suddenly, uh, but certainly to be in community, to grieve with each other. Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of my most memorable moments. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but there was a photographer there and someone who'd come up and they were crying and it was just a place upon my heart. I just went and I hugged them and they, well, I of course asked consent, mm -hmm. but I hugged them. And as we were embracing, uh, one of the national newspapers caught a glimpse of that and seeing the the compassion of, of humankind in that moment is mm -hmm. something that is, has always stuck with me and reminded me of why we do this work. That's a very inspirational speaking about like compassion and sense of belonging. Um, this program itself for me has been a huge sense of belonging on campus. And it's such an awesome opportunity for everybody to engage in these kinds of conversations and be socially aware and be like uh, sort of challenge ourselves to be emotionally intelligent as well, along with mm -hmm. getting a degree from the university. And this program has like that we lead sort of each programs within, like Hash It Out is one of them. Uh, what if there is somebody who's out there who's planning to apply or wanting to be a mm -hmm. social justice scholar, what is some of the advice or what is something that you would tell them on if someone's on a brick or whether they should go for it or not? Um, what is something you would tell them 
to sort of convince or tell them about the program itself? Yeah, first, please apply. <laughs> um, we, we have such an amazing group of social justice scholars now, um, but we certainly are looking forward to adding a few more amazing mm-hmm. scholars um, for next year. I would say make sure that this is something that you can commit time. <laughs> um, the Social Justice Scholars Program, it's unlike some of the scholarship programs across campus, perhaps. I don't know, but I do know that it is rigorous in terms of the time commitment. Um, Our Friday mornings from 9.30 a.m. until noon every Friday of the semester, it's filled with time to to probe the current events as well as the programming that the scholars put forth on campus. So know that this is something that you wanna be committed to. But then also plan to be stretched. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a very diverse group of scholars and I am just, honored and excited each and every Friday, we come together to see the countries, the nationalities, the diversity of perspectives, gender embodiment, racial ethnic makeup, the diversity of our scholars that each and every week we come together and we discuss current events in ways that I don't know when I was an undergraduate many, many moons ago, if I had that kind of experience and it certainly would have made me um, be shaped differently than I am. And so I hope that we are offering a space that we are shaping scholars in a way that helps them to become civically engaged, uh, socially conscious, but just the next generation of world leaders. I I truly believe that's what we have on Friday mornings and in the entire program. So if you think you are a next generation world leader, you should apply. Yes, you definitely should apply. I've enjoyed my time within this program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're very grateful to have you on the podcast. And I can't wait for this to go out and for other people to hear your story and your work.